Cincinnati jersey all on the block we get it in I'm in my Cincinnati Good day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Basketball Podcast. I'm Coomer, joined as always by Hummer. Hummer, what's up, buddy? Man, I was nervous. I wasn't going to get to say this and mean it, but it's a great day to be a Cincinnati Bearcat basketball fan. It was a heck of a homestand, Hummer. We had two home games this week, one against UCF, a game against a quad three opponent that you would expect be business as usual, but it was anything but. We dropped a game to UCF at home, 89-87 in double overtime, but the Bearcats, as they have come to do again and again this season, bounced back in a big way against Wichita State on Sunday, winning in regulation, 67-64, a nail-biter through and through. I don't think we're going to have a blowout the rest of the season. Feels like every game's going to take years off our life. But a big win against Wichita. Yeah, and, you know, going back to the... You know, we're obviously talking about Wichita State here, but one thing that's interesting, too, is we pretty much pulled this game out on a very poor night overall shooting. Uh, you know, we shot 37% from the field, 38 if we're rounding up. Jaron Cumberland, for his stat line being as good as it was, 24 points scored. Also, once again, had a pretty, well, I don't I want to call it too rough, but he, he had a, almost a, r- a rough night from the field going going three for 11. But he did shoot 40% from three. He had a couple big monster threes that, that helped us out. Uh, another home game against a big opponent, the bench showed up. I think that was the the standout of this game is, is the bench showing up, really picked up the slack. From a couple of our of our starters, uh, Keith Williams just he was he just didn't play well tonight. He was picking up easy fouls. It wasn't on the court. Um, Trey Scott he did his thing on the rebounding side. His offensive game wasn't really there. Um, and Chris Vote, man, what's happened with Chris Vote? <laughs> well, you just threw a lot at the wall there, Hummer. But yeah, let's start with the bench. Uh, in particular, Zach Harvey really stood out. Uh, came in primary both halves actually it seemed like John Brandon in this game made a much more concerted effort to get all bench players in the game more frequently than he did against UCF Uh, we saw in that game that a lot of our starters Trey Scott Jaron Cumberland they looked completely gassed at the end of the game and they just had nothing left in that second overtime seized you know gave up a five-point lead and uh, eventually lost to a team that we had no business losing to in this game Put more trust in the bench. It's a home game where you expect we could do that. And Zach Harvey, Chris McNeil, Mamadou, and Javen Cumberland, all of them rewarded that trust. Uh, Mamadou knocked down a massive three-pointer. But so did Zach Harvey. You know, the game was oh. it was cut down to a two-point lead late in the second half. Ball swings to Harvey late in the shot clock, and he cuts it loose with no, no hesitation. Massive arc. Derek Fisher-type arc on the shot, and... And uh, and it went and it dropped for him. It. I was losing it when I saw that shot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I thought it, I, I think it took I think it took longer to to drop than they actually had in the shot clock available. <laughs> well, we're talking about the offensive contributions from those guys, but it's it's without a doubt that Diara McNeil Harvey, all of them made their name and continue to make their name on the defensive side of the ball. Harvey had a few steals uh, or and great contests coming over to help uh, off the weak side. 
Chris McNeil did his thing with with the energy and trying to wreak havoc on that side of the ball, and uh, and Mamadou Mamadou is the head of you know the one three one zone defense which John Brandon appeared to use more today. Mamadou is the head of that thing again, and does a really effective job at creating problems for the for opposing teams guards. Uh, he did in the first half at least. I know Brandon went to run it in the second half. It took all of one play for that to fall apart and then to sub in uh, Chris Vogt back into the game. Uh, yeah, Mamadou brought some energy. Chris McNeil, I think, I don't know if this stat's true. I didn't actually verify it, but this might be the first points McNeil has scored since the exhibition game <laughs> against Thomas Moore. But, uh, you know, the one thing that really impressed me about Harvey, too, is just, he was taking it. He was taking it both ends. It was almost like the Jared uh, the Davenport game a few games back where he's just he's not afraid of the freshman to make those contributions, make those big plays, driving to the hoop, finishing, finishing at the rim. I also think something that's I don't want to overlook this stat too much, but the rebounding as a unit, I think, was much, much better this game than it's been in the past. Almost every player had a significant contribution to the boards coming in at big moments. You saw Micah Adams Woods getting in there on some offensive rebounds. I mean that that's that's a huge right huge plus right there. Yeah, you know Zach Harvey you know, collected five defensive rebounds. Chris Vote, who's you know been the culprit or maybe the guy to blame uh, for a lot of our defensive rebounding struggles, he at least did a good job putting his body on people today. So even if he wasn't securing the rebound, he did a great job throughout the game, just boxing out and giving other Bearcats a chance to come in and collect those rebounds. But that. That's why it's so important for Keith Williams, Jaron Cumberland, Micah, Zach Harvey. All of the guards and our wing players have to crash the boards on on the defensive end because of how limited we are uh, in terms of or how much we struggle collecting them and securing them just from the big man's spot. You know, Chris Vogt, he might win the box out, but he's rarely both boxing out and getting the rebound. It's, it's just not a forte of his game. Yeah, and that seems to be an issue with this team, and maybe that'll change because I feel, you know, we're going to talk about the the Central Florida game. You know, that's definitely something we we're going to have to talk about here. But John Brandon made the comments in that post game that it's not like he's not coaching; he's more more playing manager. And I think over the last three games or this four game stretch of overtimes that we're having, it's been, you know, there's been a lack of the fundamentals of boxing out. Uh, and then chasing your shot for that matter too. There was a couple tonight and I was, I was about to, to go heated on, on Jaron Cumberland today, but he, he was hurt. He did get roughed up, but there was a stretch where he went after his rebound. He got hit. We ended up ultimately getting the ball and he kind of stood over there on the sideline. Like I'm not going to, I'm not going to go back in and crash the boards again. And we only had, you know, Micah Adams Woods with the ball ball down low. And that's, that's not acceptable when, when, when we have those types of opportunities, we need more guys just crashing the offensive boards. Yeah. I just think that on that play in particular, though, Jaron Cumberland did get basically like an he elbow to the face, yeah. you know? And so there was frustration over maybe a no call that, that should have been called, but yeah, it's, it's a, it, I think you made a good <laughs> observation that we didn't actually play particularly well in this game. You know, we turned it over 14 times uh, we gave up another 11 offensive rebounds to Wichita State, so it's not like it was an immaculate performance on the defensive boards. And nobody, uh, not a lot of top contributors in terms of scoring, did their thing. Jaron Cumberland's total points look great. 
He did it with 22 free throw attempts. Otherwise, he did not shoot well from the field. Chris Vogt is really struggling right now. It seems like we're hitting the point in the conference schedule where, as we play teams a second time, they have a great sense of what they want to do to Chris Vogt, both on offense and defense. And on offense, they're they're pushing him out. They're not letting him get easy, comfortable position down low. And it's causing him to overthink, to rush, uh, to really force things sometimes when a shot's not there. Because we all know, we've, we've said it throughout the season, if Chris Vogt has to take multiple dribbles on the block, his chances of converting at the rim go down drastically. He's just not, he's not quick enough with his moves. He's not quick enough with his just general athleticism that if, if you force him out of the post a little bit, make him be more of a creator than he's supposed to be, it really it, it thwarts his offense and prevents him from being effective. And you saw that today with, with him only shooting one of seven from the field, which is, is just unbelievably poor when you consider how well Chris Vogt typically finishes. Well, Chris Vogt also has a range of about 12 inches. If he's more than 12 inches away from the hoop, the ball tends not to go in. And I think, like you mentioned earlier in the season, guys were letting him get those positions. He was getting easy dunks, easy putbacks, or you know, right underneath the hoop, easy layups, where I'm not kidding. I'm pretty sure his range is 12 inches. You move him two feet outside the hoop, and he has to try to bank it off the backboard. He doesn't have the athleticism or the touch right now that he's missing a lot of those shots. Yeah, I, think, I actually think he, two to three feet he can finish. But he's not catching the ball two to three feet from the rim right now. And he's getting it about five, six He feet. had a couple of plays in the second half, one in particular where Brandon brought him back in. He, was, he had been on the bench. They ran a play for him on offense, and he caught it maybe four feet. He rushed a lefty hook, went off the rim. Wichita State takes it the other way to try and score. I just noticed it looked like on that play in particular, he knew that that play was designed for him. He knew it was an opportunity to convert, and he rushed it. And it was just it's come that comes from fr- frustration from defenses doing everything in their power to keep you from doing exactly where keeping him from his comfort zone. And right now he's not comfortable. Uh, he had a couple other uh, a couple of other opportunities that were botched with you know dropping the ball or not going up quick enough on a Micah Adams Woods dish. It was a frustrating game for Chris Vogt. I don't think he can be the focal point of our offense, and he really hasn't been for quite some time. But we're not going to get the 15, 16 point per game Chris Vogt that we saw earlier in the season. He's going to have to kind of find his spots and pick his spots when Jaron Cumberland and other creators, you know, like Micah Adams Woods, find him and he can he can finish it with an easy dunk. Yeah, maybe maybe we can get lucky and when we're in the NCAA tournament, those teams haven't seen Chris Vogt or don't haven't seen a ton of film on him and we can we can he can wreck some havoc in the tournament, but with like you mentioned, with teams that we've been playing them to, coming up into the turn the conference tournament three times, they know what they're going to try and do to wreck wreck his game. But that's that's where we need to see the ship get righted with Jaron Cumberland. I know it's hard to say a guy had a bad game when he scored twenty four points. You know he does a fantastic job of getting to the line, but imagine if he's converting some of his some of these jump shots that he's taking. For these shots, all of a sudden that stat line goes from a 24 to he's a 30 point player. That's 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 a that's a huge that's a huge difference, and you know and it's not I'm not trying like I said it's it's very hard to say someone had a bad game scoring 24 points, but when you go down to, you know, we this game I just don't I, I didn't leave with a good feeling from it. 
Well, I don't. I don't think you really can leave with a great feeling, especially given the fact that the the three games we played prior to this were just were not good at all. You know, they were three of the worst games we've played all season, especially since we really found ourselves early in conference play. You know, you mentioned Jaron Cumberland writing the ship for himself. I the shooting percentage is one thing. What has to change is turnovers. In the last three games against East Carolina, six turnovers. Against Central Florida, seven turnovers. And today against Wichita State, another six turnovers. These these are plays, several of those turnovers come from just lazy, just sloppy plays where you're not focused. You try and make a quick pass on offense to Keith Williams. It gets picked off and goes for two points the other way. You just can't have those. The no-brainer, simple play turnovers that Jaron Cumberland is making two to three times a game, they have to be eliminated. It gives the other team too many easy transition buckets, and we know that every Bearcats game is going to come down to the last few possessions. Let's save those those two to six points from the opponent from us just tossing it to them in the backcourt. You know, the sloppy, the sloppy turnovers uh, that we've seen the last few games from Jaron Cumberland just have to stop, point blank. That's a very that's a very fair observation because there's there's times where Jaron Cumberland's passing looks like a work of art, a thing of beauty. You know, no one else can get as creative as he can. But then the way he turns the ball over is also the other side. It's a work of art. It's creative the way he's actually turning the ball over because it's like, all right, I know you see Chris Vote trying to get position down low and you want to try to throw it to him back door. But when you miss that shot or miss that pass, like you said, it, just, it leads to such easy transition buckets. And it's definitely something that needs to, that needs to be a, addressed if we can. It's getting late in the season that it's going to be really hard for someone to just all of a sudden, you know. Yeah, I mean, you're right. To an extent, we are who we are at this point, And we are a team that struggles on the defensive boards. We're a team that struggles not turning the ball over. I, I get frustrated. You know, I use the word lazy. I don't lazy is not the right word for it. They're extremely careless. When Jaron Cumberland turns the ball over on a drive where he's going toward the basket and either you know he got stripped going to the hole or he tried to kick it out to a three-point shooter who's open and maybe it gets picked off, that doesn't frustrate me. It's the passes where he's at the top of the key. We're just starting to initiate our offense. and there's So there's literally no upside on the pass. It's just a simple pass to a teammate to get the possession going and we're throwing it to the other team. Those types of turnovers are are just maddening. And they they're so avoidable that, you know, I know we can't expect everybody to change at this point with three games left in the season. That does that feels less like changing. It feels more like staying locked in, staying focused, making every single possession count to the best of your ability. I know as the primary ball handler on this team, Cumberland is going to turn the ball over three, four times a game. That's just the nature of the beast. It's those five, six, seven turnovers. Those are the ones we have to eliminate. Man, there's only three games left. Three games, buddy. We're we're into March. The madness has officially begun, and, and I feel it as a Bearcat fan. I imagine you do too. Bearcats do have a week off before traveling to Houston. Uh, where they, they have a chance at knocking off Houston at Houston, a team that has not lost at home in conference play. They're obviously the cream of the crop in the conference, but we go there and get a win, and this conference is ours for the taking. 
and we and I have to think that at large berth is there too. Yeah, that's a game. I'm looking forward to it. You need to see heading into March if we want to make a strong tournament push. You need at least a good showing in Houston. You don't necessarily need the W in Houston, but you need to put a strong showing on. You need to come out of there with some sense of confidence in the way you're going to be playing basketball for the rest of the month. I mean, that. Well, as, it, as it, it, that's I what it is. Our team, with the current situation we're in because of that Central Florida loss, I think if we want to be comfortable and feel comfortable on Selection Sunday that we're getting an at large bid. I think we do have to win that game. Now, yeah, it, I think you're right. I, you know, if you lose at Houston, is it the biggest knock on your resume? Of course not. You know, but I think it's easy to snub the Bearcats at that point, given our four quad three losses. I don't, you know, as well as things have gone in other areas, you know, obviously our quad two record is impeccable. We have pulled off three quad one wins as well. Without beating Houston at Houston, this team is is very much a candidate to be snubbed. We're going to have to put a lot of stock in our AAC conference tournament play. I don't want to do that personally, so let's let's head to Houston and find a way to, to knock them off and, and get the get some respect on our name again. It's it's interesting that you put it that way. I remember uh, what was it a few weeks ago or last week? I don't remember, but we basically said over the last seven games, let's rank the games by importance. And we went and said Memphis was the most important game. ECU was the next most important game. Central Florida, and not we weren't trying to be saying that every game's important in the order that you play it. But now with the loss of Central Florida, the whole pecking order of the games that we're going to play does change. Yes, they are all equally important. Houston may have that emphasis because you are now struggling to look for an at-large bid. You're running out of opportunities to to bolster your resume. So this is one that all right we. We need to win. You need to go into Houston, take care of business. But then when you come go down to South Florida, too, you can't let it up at South Florida. Uh, it's it's just every single game from here on out is important. Yeah. And it's going to have implications of whether we're going to be watching on Sunday with confidence or we're going to sit there and be like, oh, my God, I'm from Cincinnati. This is what life is like. Yeah, I think that uh, you, it, prior with the start of those seven games, we were in a situation where we could afford a loss. And. I did not expect that loss to come at the hands of uh, UCF. Once that loss happens, we're now in do-or-die mode for the rest of the year. So pulling off a victory against Wichita State, a very respectable team, a team that's already solidly in the NCAA tournament, that's a resume booster. And it does it takes off some of the ugliness uh, that this team was going to have on our reputation given that UCF loss. To instantly bounce back and beat Greg Marshall for the sixth straight time, most folks are gonna are gonna continue respecting the Bearcats and seeing us as a, as a team that belongs in the NCAA tournament. But we can't afford to give them the opportunity to snub us, and the best way to do that is to go to Houston, win at Houston, finish and close the deal with South Florida and Temple. And I feel like at that point, there's really not going to be much folks can do to keep us out, keep us out of the NCAA tournament. Well, yeah, too, because also let's keep in mind with when the win today, we pulled back for the tie in first place in the conference, which for some reason this season has been an omen for us whenever we are in first place. Uh, but going into Houston puts us in sole possession, puts us in the driver's seat, can essentially almost guarantee that we're getting a first-round buy in the conference tournament, which 
these guys need some rest. So having a week off between now and Houston is going to be huge because, you know, we're not really getting into the, the, the cluster that was UCF, but I'm just going to go through the minutes here real quick. Trey Scott, 47 minutes, Keith Williams, 46 minutes, Jaron Cumberland, 45 minutes. I mean, they're just, they're, these guys are worn out. They're tired. They need a break. Well, it goes hand in hand with talking about maybe a, more of a macro topic for this team going forward the rest of the year. Brandon has not found a way to to develop enough trust with the bench that we have. Now, there are some extenuating circumstances that influence that. We came into the season with Trevor Moore on our bench. He was, in theory, going to be a, a role player at that wing spot who had a few years under his belt who could play a role on this team. He decided to transfer out to Morgan State, so he's no longer an option. That The person... Those minutes that would have been filled by a junior in Trevor Moore, and I'm not the biggest Trevor Moore fan. I don't necessarily think he would have been a huge contributor, but I imagine he would have been solid on defense. He could have executed a game plan, and there wouldn't have been a fear factor that you might have with the freshman. That spot now goes to Zach Harvey, who has had a slower transition into being comfortable on the court for the Bearcats. He's starting to come on. So we're finally starting to find some wing minutes on the bench with Zach Harvey, and let's hope that John Brandon feels feels empowered to continue trusting him for the rest of the season because as it stands, outside of Zach Harvey, there's Jeremiah Davenport, who still goes games without playing. There's Javen Cumberland, who plays the minutes of a starter. But outside of that, there's Chris McNeil, who's who's simply not earning minutes beyond what you know the five that he gets per game right now, and, uh, and Mamadou Diara. Mamadou Diara, I bring, I bring him up. Jay Sarola also left the team, another another out of the control of John Brandon thing where, you know, we just can't can't do anything about guys leaving the team. And uh, those two departures, I think, have played a big role in really weakening our bench, weakening our, our depth. And now it's on John Brandon to find a way to put Diara, Harvey, Cumberland, put those guys in situations that are favorable for them, knowing that they are limited in terms of the impact that they can have on the game. So uh, I know it seems, I feel like we're, we're having this like negative vibe for the team right now, but you know, I want to do talk. I want to talk about something I think is a positive. I think 64 holding Wichita state to 64 points. I think our defensive effort was good. I think we played defense pretty, pretty well. Even, even though Chris vote at times seems slower or is able to get beat. I did see some, some, Stuff that was from positive from him when they're running the screen instead of he's 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 putting he's putting himself back into the paint to not get beat on the um well yeah he's he's not able to get beat back doors easily uh, he's in the lane yeah he's not he's, he's not falling for the roll yeah and and really when Chris votes on the perimeter it's problematic because he's slow afoot right he's not a guy who can move his feet quickly from three point line to post he needs to start and finish his possessions as close to the hoop as possible because there's less room and ground to cover at that point. I do think I'm glad you brought it up because UCF was the first game we've had in a while where it felt like there were coaching decisions made during that game that resulted in us losing the game. Obviously there were player mistakes made on the court. The players are the ones who at the end of the day influence things more than anybody else. But that second half against UCF was really bad from a defensive standpoint. You know, we were letting players beat us off the dribble at the three-point line, taking it straight to the rim for an uncontested layup. It wasn't just Chris Vogt, though. Chris Vogt got beat a couple of times, but Trey Scott got beaten a couple of times. 
And that is more strategic. If you have players pressing up on UCF, seemingly taking away their threats as jump shooters, which I don't believe UCF is a great jump shooting team. There was no help in the paint. You're letting guys beat you off the dribble, and we're giving them extremely high percentage shots at the rim that ultimately came back and beat us. Yeah, and, and I think you mentioned it too, or we were talking offline, but we're where was the zone defense towards the end of the game? Right. That's you know? the second part of that thing, right? So why are we we're not not only are we playing man to man, playing press defense, you have an easy solution in the bag, dropping to that one three one defense where we can just guarantee that Chris Vogt stays in the paint. Yeah, and that's where he should be. I mean, the last thing you need is Chris Vogt getting beat off a of pick and roll. He's not fast enough to get down there to, to try to cover that. And as we're playing better teams or quality teams, faster teams moving on here, you know, we're going to we're going to need him to play more like that, more staying in the paint as much as possible. And that goes for anybody playing the big man role. I know Mamadou, he's the head of the one, three, one when he's not in the one, three, one. You know, he, I think he can go a little haywire too. somehow ending up out on the perimeter. Whenever that happens, I think teams have figured out that they can just go back door. Because Mamadou, I mean, for as much energy he brings, he's not that quick of a defender. Well, I think so he, I, he's much better than Chris Vogt in terms of better, switching but. and being able to guard a wing player. You know, he, It's something he can do. He does get out of sorts. I agree with you where if he's out, he's out on an island too long, he's not, it's not a good place for him to thrive. Um, I just think, to kind of put a cherry, cherry on it, it would have been nice to see John Brandon switch things up in that UCF game more than he did. It felt like a game we could have stolen because, honestly, we did get outplayed consistently, but it felt like it was theirs. It was there for us to steal with a few strategic tweaks, especially on defense. If, if, we, if Central Florida is going to beat us, make them do it with jump shooting. That team is not very talented. We saw it in the second half. that Every time they did take a jump shot, it was a favorable result for us. But when you let the, any team, it's not just Central Florida. If you let any team beat you off the dribble for layups, you're going to lose that game. But not against Wichita State. I think, you know, we already mentioned it. I think their defense was much better. Uh, offense, I still think we're we're having some woes on the offensive side of the board. And that's also a testament to Wichita State playing 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 good defense. Uh, it's, it's just, oh, you know... I'm listening to the Ricky Sanchez podcast with the Sixers, and it's like the guys on there, it's like I'm having these same exact feelings for the Bearcats where it's just like so frustrating that it's just, it's there. Like You can see these pieces coming together, and when the, when the execution isn't happening, you're, you just get, you're getting so frustrated. Like well, Jaron Cumberland, like I've mentioned this to you, and you don't agree with me on that, and that's fine. Because he, he's great at getting to the line. Obviously, the stats are there. He is fantastic at getting to the line. But I think some of those other shots that he's taking, where he's missing so many of them, is because the only thing he's trying to do is get to the line. I think some of that comes from the fact that he's just not that great at... He's not elite at beating his man. It's, it's diff, He doesn't have the explosiveness uh, or even creativity from a dribble standpoint to beat his man consistently. Um, especially if he's compromised at all physically. And I think in that last Wichita State game, at Wichita State, he did he did tweak his ankle again. He's been dealing with foot and ankle injuries throughout the season. 
I think that's be- because of that. You might see a player who's leaning more on getting bailed out by referees or drawing fouls. He's good. At, he's good at drawing fouls, right? There, that Very is good a at skill it. in itself. Elite at it. Um, but it is the presence of Jaron Cumberland. It's the early season Keith Williams that we saw who hasn't been there as much recently. And it's the recent renaissance of Trey Scott. It's all of those things combined that make us so excited about this team. And it's why we are so badly wanting to make the NCAA tournament. Because when you do, when you have a player like Jaron Cumberland leading your team and running the show, it feels like anything is possible. It feels like we could be the team to get hot, go on a run, and make something magical happen. But if we don't make the tournament, we never have the shot at that at that magic happening. So it's it's imperative that the Bearcats bring their top effort to every single game remaining on the schedule. That John Brandon is doing everything in his power to set these guys up for success. Because a chance, there's an opportunity for this Bearcats team to to become one that's remembered for a long time. I still believe that with the talent we have, but we have not been able to put a comprehensive performance together in weeks. In weeks. So finding a way to turn that around, it really does start with executing on offense, no, no easy lackadaisical turnovers, rebound the ball, and then and then defend. You know, just defend, play solid ass defense. If we keep do the ball those in front things, of you. keep the ball keep in front ball, of you. Keep the ball in front of you because with Jaron Cumberland running the show, I'm confident we're going to continually get good shots at the rim. We're going to have pretty solid offensive performances, and we're going to have games where guys shoot better than than other nights. You know, but if, when we when we defend like this, we can afford a bad shooting night, and we find ourselves beating Wichita State despite really poor offense. We just need to find a way to rein in the, the weak points. And it's easier said than done. We have three games left, and we haven't figured out a way to do it yet. Maybe it's too little too late. I just I still have high hopes and high expectations. So uh, before the game started, before watching it, my wife, Julia, comes in and says, so you know, how important is this game to win? I was like, well, if we don't win, we're going to end in the NIT. And she goes, what's that? And I said, it's the not in the tournament tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I hope not. I know there's plenty not of opportunities. Want to be there. There's plenty of opportunities for us to avoid that, and uh, hopefully we're not talking about that tournament on this podcast in the future. Um, Hummer, like we mentioned, we've got a week in between games here. We will drop a special podcast in between this, uh, specifically about incoming recruit Tari Eason. We sat down, or I sat down, I should say, with Nars Martinez of Prep, Hoop, Prep Hoops Washington for a really awesome interview about a exciting player that I think Bearcats fans are going to want to learn more, more about. Yeah, not to get too off topic, though. It's uh, I for, forget where this rumor is starting, but it looks like the Bearcats are attempting a last-minute addition to their 2020 class with Gabe Win- Winsnitzer, a four-star, I think he's a, he's a four-star center, We'll, we'll keep you up to date on what's going on that. He's currently classified in the class of 2021, but there's uh, rumors that he could reclassify. Us at NC State just sent some people down there to uh, see what they can conjure up. He has offers from a lot of big schools, but who knew you were going to get some some recruiting talk on a, a week before March? It's worth talking about, though. We've got some exciting players coming in, and you know we've talked about Mike Saunders Jr., Gabe Madsen, Mason Madsen, and now Tari Eason. Um, it'd be nice to get another name to to talk about for next season. Who has the best hair of the of the four new recruits? 
I am right now, and it's surprising. I'm Team Gabe Matson. I think that I'm, those long locks are special. I'm Team Saunders. <laughs> but Tari Eason's, a, Tari Eason's a, a, is close in that race too. I'm sorry, Mason. You got some some locks too, but you know your your brother's out there killing it. <laughs> well, I appreciate everybody tuning into the podcast. We're available on Twitter. Find us there at Cincy Slangin. Shoot us an email, CincySlangin at gmail.com. And if, if your heart so desires, find us on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast, and leave us a five-star review. We super appreciate those, those efforts. Hummer, it's that time. we got to dedicate this podcast episode to a former Bearcat. Who is this week's dedication to? I believe this week is your week. <laughs> Throwing it right back in my face, buddy. I see how this is going to be. A.K.A. I'm not prepared. Well, I am going to go ahead. You mentioned great hair uh, for the incoming class. I'm sure there's a bear cat of past history who had wonderful hair himself. Uh, the first one that comes to mind, and this is kind of off, way off the beaten path. It's not necessarily relevant to how we're playing, uh, but I'm going to go with Jihad Muhammad. This week's dedication mm -hmm. is going to be Jihad Muhammad, who had interesting and, and uh, awesome hair in his own right, but a junior college transfer, he played two years with the Bearcats, really fun and bouncy style of play, was never shy or bashful about launching a three-pointer from wh whichever angle on the court. Uh, someone who, you know, despite staying only two years, I think he carved out a pretty interesting and memorable career with the Bearcats, especially for someone who's not necessarily like an elite talent from a, from a professional standpoint. So, Jihad Muhammad, this podcast episode will be dedicated to you. Thank you. It's a deep pull. Cheers. <laughs>